0: Welcome to Accessible, the podcast that opens the door to disability leaders and their ideas. I'm George Gatto.
1: And I'm Amelia Regard.
0: We're glad you joined us. Accessible features interviews and insights from leaders in the disability field. By listening, you can gain knowledge for your own life, career, and professional development. In turn, share these ideas to help others learn from you. Accessible is a partnership between the Missouri Leadership Education in Neurodevelopmental Disabilities, or LIND, and the Missouri University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities. LIND's purpose is to prepare graduate students for future work in the field of developmental disabilities. We hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: Today we are speaking with Vicki Davidson. She is the Executive Director of the Missouri Developmental Disabilities Council located in Jefferson City and a parent of a person with a disability. She will share how she got started in the disability field, the purpose and role of the Developmental Disabilities Council and her work
2: in emergency preparedness. My name is Vicki Davidson, and I'm the executive director for the Missouri Developmental Disabilities Council.
0: And I want to get to what the the DD Council is in a, in a little bit. But first, how did you come to work in the, the field of developmental disabilities?
2: My foray into developmental disabilities actually happened early on in my life. We used to live in Germany, my father was in the army, and we lived in an apartment building, and the family below us had a daughter with significant limitations, she had cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. So at that time, the area wasn't really accessible to people with developmental disabilities. So my mother and I, and sometimes my sister, would go down and sit with Paula, and at that time, provide respite, but basically, we were helping care for the daughter of a friend and keeping her company so that the family could get out. As I grew up, being in the Army, we met a diverse population of people and being around people and understanding diversity is something that was really important to me. So I did go to college and I studied psychology while I was in college. And after I received my bachelor's degree, I I had a fully paid scholarship my first four years. So I really didn't work except to offer tutoring services to others for some professors. So when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I was also going forward for my master's degree in counseling and got a job at the Senate Bill 40 board in Jefferson City in Cole County. So I worked. I didn't know that.
0: That's
2: neat. I worked there for about four, four and a half years, a number of years. And I worked in, at that time, a day program. And I worked with individuals helping to increase their independence. When I graduated with my master's degree, I was looking for, you know, the next stepping stone. And an opportunity came up where I was able to go to vocational rehabilitation and I served as a counselor at uh, vocational rehabilitation for a number of years. I started out in the Fulton Vocational VR office. They have since closed that office and I was given an opportunity to either go to Jefferson City because I lived on the other side of Jefferson City or go to the Columbia office that they had just opened up. My primary caseload when I was with VR were individuals with behavioral health issues, developmental disabilities, substance abuse, and traumatic brain injury. So those were the areas that I kind of specialized in. And I went to Jefferson City and there was an opportunity to work for the council. So I applied for that position and uh, I got that position back in 1992. Wow. So that's where I landed.
0: Wow. Let's move into the DD Council then. What what is the DD Council?
2: The DD Council is an organization that is federally funded through the Developmental Disabilities Bill of Rights Act. And they have it set up in the developmental the DD Act is what we say for short. They have it set up where we work in conjunction with two other organizations. One is the organization you work for, George, UMKC Institute for Human Development, which is a university centers on excellence for developmental disabilities. And the other is the Protection and Advocacy, which is the legal arm of the DD Act, and then the DD Council. And what we do is we look to provide opportunities to change systems, whether it's through policy and influencing policy, providing leadership training to parents of children with developmental disabilities or adults with developmental disabilities, and just working to change the broad system so that people can live in the community and have a quality life in the community. I guess I'm
0: curious about the makeup of the council. So I know that you have employees and that who have an, a different focus. But maybe what I don't fully grasp is who makes up the council and, um, and what do they do for, for your organization?
2: We are a family-driven council. So at least 60% of our members are parents of children with developmental disabilities of all ages, adults who have lived experience of developmental disabilities. And one of those individuals has to have lived in a state institution previously.
0: I did not know that. Yeah,
2: so that we can get that perspective as Mm -hmm. well. While we've moved beyond institutions, there are still segregated institutions here, but we really need that perspective to help guide our work so that uh, we can provide quality projects or initiatives to move us into people living in the community. And we have a diverse council. It's really important to us that we have representation from different types of disabilities, different ethnicities and races and cultures. And then the other 40% of our membership are state agencies, which include representation from our sister organizations, UMKC, and protection and advocacy. So really we are a family-driven council.
1: You guys have
2: quite a bit of different projects
1: that you guys work with in the state. And just since your time at the DD Council, what have been some of the maybe most exciting or the most significant projects that you think the DD Council has been a part of?
2: We have done a lot of really exciting work. It's going to be really difficult to narrow it down. Sure. <laughs> I came to the council to address family support and inclusive education when I started with the council. So the very first thing that I was tasked with doing is working with the legislature and families to get a Family Support Act passed. So we like did. Family Support Act passed, and it did. it was quite successful for a few years. But then with budget cuts and everything, monies weren't appropriated for that program. We have done a lot of work in guardianship, and we've worked with UMKC as well as protection and advocacy. We provided a forum for all types of stakeholders to come together and review the current guardianship code and make recommendations for model language that would really improve the lives of people with developmental disabilities. We tend to think that just because somebody has a developmental disability, they have to have a guardian. And that's not always the case. People can be quite successful with some alternative supports like supported decision making is something that we really support. That doesn't mean that people don't need guardians. There are some who may, but being able to provide this opportunity and this change in the system so that people don't have their rights stripped away are really important to us. We have done a lot of work in education we have provided grants to do peer-to-peer mentoring collaborative teaching within schools trauma-informed schools and my favorite is emergency preparedness we've done a lot of work in emergency preparedness we have a victimization task force that addresses the needs of people who have been victimized because there are high rates of victimization in the dd population so um, and i know that you've worked uh, with us quite a bit on that as well.
1: Yes, I have. I've had the pleasure
2: of working with the DD Council and Vicki
1: on the victimization task force and a few of the initiatives that have come out of there. So It's very
2: worthwhile work. And one of the initiatives that came out of there is the criminal justice flowchart to try to get a grasp on what the system is like, how you report abuse, and how that abuse gets addressed so that we can find out where those gaps and barriers are and address those. And another piece that came out of that task force was first responder disability awareness training, which we are implementing currently. And we have initiatives around voting, education, employment, transportation, just a wide variety of initiatives to to ensure that people with disabilities and their families are at the table, really formulating how those systems work best for them.
1: Would you talk a little bit more about your passion in the emergency preparedness area? Because I know that that's something that seems like a particular torch that you carry at the council and in the state. Yes, it is. And I will try not to go
2: on for days and days. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, give it to us. After Hurricane Katrina, our commissioner at the time told states that it was important that every state have a lead to address emergency preparedness. And I have to admit, I was a little bit reluctant at first because I thought there's so much more out there that really impact people's lives that, you know, we should be spending time on. But the more I got to learn about emergency preparedness and the need, especially with all of the deaths during Hurricane Katrina, it just became... A passion everybody needs to have the tools that will help keep them safe in any type of disaster and what people don't realize is house fires is the number one disaster but Missouri is continually in the top 10 states when it comes to disasters
0: that shocks me
2: yeah I was not aware of that yep we are uh, we are right in the middle of tornado alley we
0: (laughs) Uh, Joplin, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Exactly. Just one example. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And with being in the center of Tornado Alley, we kind of say that people don't realize that even hurricanes affect us. Because after Hurricane Katrina and then Hurricane Gustav, all of those waters came up to Missouri and there was flooding down in southern Missouri. And, of course, the Joplin tornado So my passion is making sure that people have the tools that they need in order to be safe and even recover following a disaster. If people have the tools that they need, it's not easy recovering from a disaster, but it helps provide a familiarity that there are ways that people can get help. And as a result of that, I did leave the council for a short period of time, about three and a half years to work for the Center for Emergency Response and Terrorism. And I ran the state's Health Department Emergency Operations Center. And I was actually working there during the Joplin tornado. I really missed working with people with developmental disabilities. So when the council asked me to come back as the director, I said yes, and they wanted me to bring the experience of working in the emergency preparedness field to the table as well.
0: Can you go back, Vicki, and talk a little bit about what do uh, people with developmental disabilities in particular need in order to be prepared for an emergency situation?
2: And that, I will say, is different for every single person. Mm-hmm. The... Information that is available out there, Missouri has some good documents that they've created ready in three materials, where it tells you three simple steps on being prepared. You get informed, make a kit, and you continue to keep that kit up and do the exercises. When I do training, I try to bring in people with developmental disabilities. And actually, when I pulled together a PowerPoint, I sat down with individuals from People First and then presented the information to People First to make sure that it really met their needs and then got feedback and was able to add to the general preparedness presentation. But people do need to assess what their needs are on any given day. And what do they absolutely have to have if they become separated from their care attendants or family members or what have you? What does somebody need on any given day? If you have to evacuate, do you have a go bag with those essential items such as medication? And those are the general things that people talk about. Have medication, phone numbers, doctor's lists. But think about what you might need. I'll share that my daughter has autism and she is very sensitive to any sounds, lights, and that really impacts her where she, I can say this because this is a term that she uses, she has a meltdown is how she terms that. For her, she carries earbuds with her, but she likes to have noise-canceling headphones if there's a noisy situation and she knows that she can't be in crowds. She feels very uncomfortable. So part of her preparedness is making sure that she has noise-canceling items. We have a travel weighted blanket for her so that she feels comfortable. Other people may need things like compression socks or feeding tubes, formulas that are specially formulated that you can't get off of the shelf at a grocery store. So it's really important that people take a look at what their individual needs are and make their plan fit what those needs are and have a plan for when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're at school, and just wherever you go. Well, how are like, I'm
1: thinking of like individual families getting information about how to create these bags, these go bags, right, or how to make these plans? Like, how, what, what would you recommend that a family does then to start the process?
2: I think starting the process is taking a look at what is out there. I have been asked to do preparedness trainings previously. I did one for People First not too long ago, and I've added COVID or uh, pandemics to that presentation. I also have added earthquakes because we live in a state that is there's a concern about the New Madrid quake. But finding out there is a Red Cross in your area and sit down with somebody at the Red Cross and say, how would I go about pulling together a go bag? I recommend that people be creative as well because if you get a purchased off of the shelf go bag, it can be quite pricey. So I recommend that people take this planning a little bit at a time. There are some great resources out there that can walk people through them as well. A resource that I use is the Personal Preparedness Inventory from Mid-America Regional Council in Kansas City. And as they sit down and develop their go bag, just take it a chunk at a time, or even their home preparedness kit. You don't have to have a Red Cross go bag. After school starts, when children are meeting in person, places like Walmart or Target, they sell backpacks. Make it fun for the child so that it's not scary and overwhelming, and include the children in this, because if they are included, if there is a disaster, they'll have that information. If you wait until after school starts, backpacks can sometimes go on sale for seventy-five percent off. So <laughs> let deal. Let, let you know your child or whoever pick out what they want. When you get medication refilled, ask the pharmacist for a printout and put that in your go bag. If you like to do crossword puzzles, put a couple of those in your go bag. Have a couple of bottles of water if noise cancelling headphones, squishy toys if you need some manipulatives if if your child or you feel better working with your hands, that that keeps you more calm in a stressful situation. Just think about what you need. Definitely food and water, you know, thinking about an EpiPen, if you need an EpiPen, contacts, glasses, things like that. Think about what you need if you would have to grab and go during an emergency and then think about what you need for your kit at home. But take it a chunk at a time. Don't feel like you have to go out there and do everything all at once.
1: I feel like inspired that I need to make a go back (laughs) for my kids and my family because we haven't (laughs) thought through anything like that. What would we do if there was a tornado or something like an emergency? It seems like such a helpful resource for all of us, honestly.
0: So as you Think about, um, say, the next five years. We're coming out of a pandemic right now. What do you see as being the most pressing issues in our field? Uh, say, you know, in the next two to five years.
2: One thing that is very pressing is the direct support professional crisis. There are people who do need supports and it's very difficult to find direct support in order to provide those supports. And I started out working direct support and it's not an easy job. There's a lot of hands-on, you're providing intimate supports for individuals that for some may be even life and death situations, but you can get more if you go to Target and work at Target. More money? More money. Yeah. yeah. More money. And people have to survive too. And especially, you know, with prices going up, people need to take care of their families as well. So I see the personal care as a major issue. And also people living in the community with the supports that they need. We have learned a lot through the pandemic and some things have really benefited individuals. For instance, being able to work virtually. There might be opportunities for individuals with developmental disabilities to do work in a virtual setting, but we wanna be careful not to just say, oh, now we can all work virtually that's where we're going to pigeonhole everybody we want to make sure that we continue to take a look at what each individual's passions are and talents are so that they can bring the talents in areas that they are wanting um, to work in employment transportation is huge transportation is huge on any given day people don't have transportation to work to doctor's appointments Just getting the help that they need, even transportation to do something leisurely, that's very difficult. So those are issues that we really need to tackle. The pandemic demonstrated as well that there's a huge need for us to address the digital divide. And the council just did our five-year state plan. And one of the things that we want to take a look at is bridging that digital divide. There were so many people with developmental disabilities who didn't even have a device, not even a cell phone, where they could stay connected to someone else. And CMS, while they relaxed some of their rules.
0: What is CMS?
2: The Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. Even though they relaxed some of their rules for Medicaid, when we get out of this pandemic, they will not pay for internet. So we are working at the national level and I work on a task force and we've met with CMS and the Government Accountability Office to take a look at how can we address this and how can we make sure that internet is paid for through Medicaid supports to help individuals live as independent a life as possible. So those are just a few of the issues I see are really pressing. Mm-hmm. at this time
0: so vicki if anyone wants to learn more about the dd council and what the dd council is doing or about vicki davidson what uh where should they go or what should they do
2: they can always call our office at 800-500-7878 we have a website m-o-d-d C O U N C I L org, that's moddcouncil.org, and learn about partners in policymaking. I forgot to mention that.
0: Yes, please do.
2: It's leadership training, and we have applications out right now. We are looking for parents of children 14 and under or adults with developmental disabilities to go through this leadership training so that families and individuals can become active in working with their policymakers to let policymakers know what types of things are important to them. So moddcouncil.org, 800-500-7878, or you can email me at V-D-A-V-I-D-S-O-N at moddcouncil.org. Okay,
0: and we'll put all of this in the show notes uh, for, for the podcast and so you all can access it there as well. Well, thank you so much, Vicki.
2: Yeah, thank you, Vicki. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Accessible. Accessible is hosted and produced by George Gatto and Amelia Reigert and co-produced by Carrie Benson from the University of Missouri, Kansas City, Institute for Human Development, which is the home of the Missouri USET. Accessible is a joint project between the Missouri USAID and the Missouri LEND program, which is funded by the Health Resources and Services Administration of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services through grant number T73MC00022. Episodes of Accessible are released every two weeks and can be found wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Join us next time to hear more insights and ideas from leaders in the disability world.